driving home from Ballina and you may have had a similar experience when you were driving, listening to the radio. Uh, that is, if you listen to Radio ABC. If you listen to some of the others, you won't hear anything like this. But uh, on the radio, I was listening to the ABC. I don't know, the older you get, it's sort of it moved. The ABC used to be number six on my automatic play thing. Now it's number one. I'm not sure what's happening there, but uh, it's moved its way down. Uh, as I was driving along, I was listening to the radio and there was a discussion about, I'm not even 100% sure of the issue, but I think it had something to do with maybe uh, gay marriage or something along those sort of lines or something sort of that was controversial at the time in Australia. And as the conversation went and the different people rang in and all those sorts of things, someone came in with a, a quote from the Old Testament in the Bible that certain people should be taken out and killed. And then they just blasted away at Christians for even having any type of concept or belief in that. And as I was thinking, I was thinking, oh man, you idiot, you've got no idea what the Old Testament says. But I'm thinking a whole lot of people out there were going saying, yeah, right off that Christianity. That Old Testament stuff, it's hopeless. What, what, I don't care whether Jesus came or not, that Old Testament writes off everything. Have you ever felt like that? Felt a bit strange about the fact that someone's pulled a verse out nailed it, and you feel, ah, they haven't done the right thing, but ah, that also, it's like a knife into the heart, isn't it, of your own belief. Or maybe you've been talking to someone who's actually a Christian, and as you're talking to them, they have quoted to you, apart from the Bible, and then they've gone and done something really weird with it. Uh, They've quoted you something from the Old Testament, particularly from the Old Testament, and they've somehow told you that because of that, they're going to be living prosperous and successful lives forever. Or they've quoted it and said, this is the one prayer that will be the prayer above all prayers and we just need to pray this prayer and everything's going to be fine for you. Or they've said something to you like, go out, walk around the town seven times praying and blow a trumpet and the walls of the devil will come down. You think, man, what's going on there? What's happening there? I I think sometimes we scratch our heads, don't we? We think, what do we do with the Old Testament? Do we write it off completely and say we've got nothing to do with it? Or do we take it and just grab it and make it say anything we like for where we are now? Sometimes I think we just go, what on earth is this? How does it fit? What do we do with it? As Christians, what do we do? How do we understand it? As people who maybe are interested in Christianity, what does it fit? How does it work? For those who want to blast Christianity, you think, well, let's just wipe it out. Sometimes I wonder whether even as Christians we think, let's just rip the Old Testament out of the Bible, put it aside, let's stick to Jesus and we'll be okay. Well, I think the best person to go to to understand how do we understand the Old Testament is Jesus. Because Jesus tells us how to understand it. And he tells us even how to interpret it as well. And so that's what we're going to do today. The passage that we're looking at uh, in Matthew chapter 5 is a great passage. Uh, it's a very challenging passage, by the way. Uh, in one sense, it's going to really challenge us on a living level. It's about radical obedience and radical living. But it's also going to help us, I pray this morning, to understand how do we put that Old Testament stuff together with the New Testament stuff and Jesus. Uh, it's going to help us with that as well this morning. And I know I'm not going to... We could spend three days working through that together, but we're going to see what Jesus said. I'm going to pull out a couple of things I think are going to be really helpful for us so that we can understand it together. So we don't either want to rip it out or we don't want to run with it the way that it wasn't intended to be run with. 
So we're going to do is going to read from Matthew chapter uh, 5, verses 17 to 20. And we're not going to go through the end of chapter uh, 5, but the whole of chapter 5, verses 17 to 48, are uh, a whole piece. It's, a, it's part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I remember last week we looked at the start. Jesus called his disciples in. He says, come and listen, come and listen. And then not only the whole crowds come around the outside and they're listening as well. And Jesus is about to give his longest speech that he does in the whole of the Bible and it's radical. It's radical in a number of ways. It was radical back then and it's even radical for you and I today. And so we're going to come in. We've seen last week he talked about the Beatitudes. Blessed are the people who have these things. And he said we are to shine like lights in the sky. We are to be lights on a hill for the world. We are to be salt in the world. And now he comes into this passage. I think what people are listening to this and they're going, man, this guy's amazing. This guy's teaching stuff I could never imagine before and with authority. But how does he fit with all that stuff that we've got in our old Bible over here? How does he fit that together? How does that work? And so Jesus is a pretty amazing teacher, isn't he? So he's got that. And so now, bang, he's going to hit that. He's going to transform their thinking on it. And he's going to challenge them in how they live it. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We have a look at that together. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through to 48. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd really encourage you to have them open because I'm not going to be able to take you to every bit after this. But we're going to have this bit on the screen anyway. I'm going to help you with the first part. Because the first verses 17 to 20 set the scene for the rest. Jesus explains how he fits the Old Testament. Then he explains how to interpret the Old Testament in the second part of it. Okay? Uh, and I'm not sure who was supposed to read today, so I'm Damn, fantastic. She's on to it. 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore... Anyone who sets aside one of, these, one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Thanks, Deb. It's very short, that bit, isn't it? Uh, but out of that comes a whole lot of stuff that we're going to see in just a moment. First thing I want you to look at is that very first part. It says, doesn't it, when you're ever thinking about what do I do with the Old Testament, do I want to rip it out and just get rid of it? Well, what does Jesus say? He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. When he talks about law of the prophets, what he means is the whole Old Testament that we have. Okay? Their understanding back in those days was from Genesis right through to uh, Malachi and all that sort of thing, that's all there together. Okay, that's it, the 39 books. They knew that was the Old Testament back then and that's what Jesus is saying. Those 39 books are the ones that we need to keep. He says he hasn't come to abolish them, so don't rip them out. Okay, keep them in your Bibles, hold on to them. Uh, they're going to be worthwhile. And then he says this, and this is the key to the rest of it, okay. This is the most important verse that's there. He says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. And just imagine if you could, you're a Jew. You've grown up for thousands of years and you've heard the Old Testament being taught uh, and you've 
been taught this and it's been going on and it's been told this is God's word. It's actually been 400 years before you've last heard him and now when you hear him now. And then Jesus says he comes to fulfill it. That would have rung in their ears amazingly because they would have gone, there's a whole lot in those 39 books. A whole lot of prophecy, a whole lot of promises, a whole lot of law, a whole lot of rules, a whole lot of history. And Jesus says, I fulfill it all. What he's saying to them is everything that was written in the Old Testament, the whole lot of it comes to him, points to him. That he is the one that wraps it all up and in him is the fulfilment of the lot. That is a big call. Now we're on the other side of the cross, aren't we? We've seen a whole lot of what Jesus has done and we can come back and see that. But for them that would have been, wow, maybe this is the guy who's going to be the Messiah. Maybe he is the promised one. Because he says, I fulfil it all. And what does he mean by he fulfils it all? He means a number of things. And he doesn't go to explain it all here in one sense. Uh, he goes on to explain how he interprets it and how he has authority over it. I'm going to say that in just a moment. But when we get to the other side of the cross and we've got the rest of the New Testament there, we see how he fulfils it in every scope, in every form. Because when he says we see these three things to start with, we three see that he fulfils it in that he obeys every bit of it. Uh, in that it all points to him and he's obedient to it. That People said of Jesus, no deceit was found and no conceit came out of his mouth. He did all that God desired him to do. So he obeyed the Old Testament the right way and everything points to him. It's all coming to him. And then thirdly, all the prophecies are fulfilled in him. Do you know that the odds of winning the lottery is 1 in 259, what's that, million or so? All right. The odds of a man fulfilling eight prophecies, 1 in, that's a lot of zeros, isn't it? Okay. Now, Jesus fulfilled eight, but he did more than that. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies that were written more than 400 to 2,000 years before. He fulfilled every one of them. That has got to blow your mind, doesn't it? We think Nostradamus was all right. He got a couple of things right, maybe, possibly. Jesus fulfilled all those prophecies. That's a phenomenal thing to say about him, isn't he? Fulfilled them all. They all come to him. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that all the prophecies find their yes in Jesus. He's it. He's where it's at. And not only that, he fulfilled all the sacrifices as well. We see a lot of sacrifices in the Old Testament, don't we? We think, what's all that blood and all that stuff about? What's that going on? Well, it's actually all pointing to Jesus. All those sacrifices and all those blood back there were pointing to the fact that God needed to pay for the sins of the people, that something needed to be paid for that. Either us or God. And God steps in and pays the penalty for everything that we've done wrong. All the things that the old people in the Old Testament did, all the people in the new, people in the future, are all wrapped up and done by Jesus. His death on the cross covers them all. They're all pointing to him. He is it. There is no more sacrifices needed of blood, that is. There is none of that need. No more. I don't see too many churches doing that these days, but some churches do have concept of what that looks like. But we don't need any more. They're all, they're all done by Jesus. He's the last one. The only, he's as complete. 
His death on the cross pays the price for our sin, for our rebellion against God. There's no more to be done. And then Jesus fulfills the law. So all the laws that God put down, he actually fulfills them all. He fulfills the demands of them. The demands of the law, do you know why God set the laws out? It's because God wanted a holy people for himself. You read that through the whole Old Testament. That's the refrain. I'll be their God and they will be my people. I'm a holy God and I want a holy people. What were the laws put there for? So that the people, God's people, would live in light of God, the way that God desired them to do. They were to show that people who follow Jesus or follow God were different to the world. They were his. Uh, But the whole Old Testament shows us, doesn't it, that we fail on that. We keep mucking it up. Try and cover any one of the Ten Commandments and you're cactused. You can't do it by yourself. Jesus fulfills it perfectly. He fulfills the demands of the law. He does everything that it's supposed to do. And what it was supposed to point us to was that we couldn't fulfill it ourselves, only Jesus can. So he's the only perfect sacrifice for us. He's the only one that can be there for us. And then he's the perfect one who interprets it as well. He's the one who tells us how to understand the Old Testament. He's the one who shows us how to understand the Old Testament. You cannot go to the Old Testament, pull out a verse and say, this is for me, without getting to Jesus first. That is not the way it goes. If you ever do that, you're in danger, guys. Even the wisdom literature, which sometimes is just general wisdom that's out there, if you go to that and don't get to Jesus first and understand who he is as the perfect wisdom, you're going to do something wrong with the Old Testament. You are going to amplify it into your life the wrong way. Because that's not the way Jesus says it to be, is it? He's fulfilled all of it. And that's why he goes on and does. He says, I'm not abolishing it, I'm not wiping it out, I'm not taking any jot or tittle out of it, I'm not removing anything from it, but I'm saying it all comes to me. You see, the Old Testament is like a bud of a flower and the New Testament in Jesus is like the flower opened up. The bud's important, but that's not where the beauty is, is it? The bud is worth looking at, but really it's the flower that we're on about. We look at the bud to understand why the flower is so beautiful. It takes us to the flower. We go, wow, how good is this? How beautiful is Jesus? That's what the Old Testament is to do for us. Uh, I don't know whether you've noticed, but uh, lately there's been a whole lot of go back behind the movies to bring us up to the front. Uh, Star Wars started, I don't know how many, down the track. We had to go backwards so we could get the rest of it. Uh, Lord of the Rings, we got the first three. uh, But so that we realise that that wasn't the start of it, we've gone back to The Hobbit. And so when you understand The Hobbit and read The Hobbit or see The Hobbit, it gives you so much more understanding of Lord of the Rings. You can watch Lord of the Rings, the trilogy, and enjoy it. And it can be good. And you can find out that Frodo does get the ring and he does throw it in there and things are all good. Maybe. Uh, But... If you go back to The Hobbit and read The Hobbit and watch The Hobbit and you see how that works, oh, now I know why that fits together. I know where that comes in. I know it's why it's my precious. We understand it more, don't we? And that's a bit like the Old Testament. That's what it does. We go back and it gives us more of understanding. You can know Jesus and you can be a Christian and you can trust in him from just reading the New Testament. Okay, You can. 
There are people in the world who've only got one book of the New Testament and trust and believe in Jesus. You don't have to have the whole lot. Just trust and believe in Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, make sure you've got all the Old Testament and the New Testament and then trust and believe in me and you have eternal life, does he? He says, trust and believe in me and you have eternal life. But if we truly want to understand how Jesus feels, the beauty of Jesus, how enormous, how big it is, then we go back and we've got the Old Testament to help us understand that. It brings us to him and helps us understand him more fully. And we understand God's rescue plan for us. You see, we can come in at Jesus and we can see that we need to be saved. We can understand that we fall short of God. But when we go to the Old Testament, we get that absolutely blown apart at us, don't we? It just hits us and we go, wow, Israel needed God, I need God. This rescue plan of God's is huge. He loves you. He's for you. Jesus died for us. That's the rescue plan of God and we understand that even more when we have the Old Testament there for us to find that out, to help us with that. But we need transformation, doesn't it? Because what does Jesus say? He says, your righteousness needs to surpass even the righteousness of the Pharisees. That is the people who knew all of the Old Testament, taught it, supposedly lived it out. You've got to be even better than them. How do you do that? Well, there's only one way, isn't there? It's transformation. We need someone to step into our lives so that we can be like that. Transformation, the act, process or instance of changing in character or condition. And where do we see that? In Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 17, don't we? That's the transformation. It's when we're poor in spirit. We come to God open-handed and say, Jesus, I need you. And then he comes and lives within us and he transforms us and he changes us. So that our righteousness now is beyond the Pharisees because it's going to be deeper than the Pharisees. The deeper they, they knew the law, they understood the law, but their hearts were hard. They knew what they should do, but they didn't live it because their lives weren't transformed. Because it's a matter of the heart, says Jesus. And that's what he does from verses 21 to 48. He gives us an example of how to interpret the Old Testament. The perfect example because it's his. He shows us how we should understand it. And what he does, he goes through that, and I'm not going to go through all of it, but I'm going to just pick up on a few points. But he says it's a heart matter. He said it's not the letter of the law, it's the spirit of the law. It's not the letter of the law, it's the heart of the matter that is most important. Because look what he says. If you go through from verse 21 down you'll see that there's a continual refrain. You have heard it said that, but I say. You have heard it said that, but I say. Jesus is saying to them, you've been taught this about the Old Testament, but this is what I say. You've heard people teach you this, but I'm telling you the truth. This is where it's at, guys. They've got it wrong. I have the authority to show how to understand it right. He says it seven times, I think, doesn't he? One, two, three, four, five, five, six times. He wants to nail it, doesn't he? He wants to nail it. It's something really important here. And he says it's not about the letter of the law. It's about the spirit of the law. It's not about surface. It's about the heart. I don't know whether you can read this. Can you? It's a cartoon. 
Uh, and the mum said to the little fella, he says, goodness, uh, you're filthy. Into the tub with you. So he goes upstairs and he jumps into the tub. He says, I obey the letter of the law, if not the spirit. And then mum says, let's hear some water running. Ah, nice. So he got this, the letter right, didn't he? Go up to the tub, go up to the bath. Okay, I'm going to get in the bath. I've done that bit. That's all mum told me to do. But it was the spirit of it was she wanted to get clean, didn't she? Wanted to get washed. And Jesus goes through from verse 21 almost to say, guys, this is the, you've heard the letter of the law here, but this is the heart of it. You've heard this is what it's supposed to be like, but this is the spirit of it. This is what I want you to do. And, and you see, we have this tendency, don't we, either to minimise things when we hear rules or to maximise it. And it's always to justify our actions. We minimise, don't we? We think, all right, there's a rule. I'm going to make that as simple as possible and pull it back to just... How many of you set your speed control in a 100 zone to 105? What are we doing, aren't we? Oh, the letter of the law is 100, but I'm going to push it 105 because the speed camera won't get me. I'm all right. Aren't we? We minimise it. We bring it down. What about our tax? Let's bring it back as far as we can because I don't want to give that tax man any money. Even though that tax goes to our education and our hospitals, you wonder why we don't have hospitals. Why we don't have education? Anyway, another point. But we bring it back, don't we? We bring it back, don't we? We bring it back to the minimum. We minimise it as small as possible. Or we maximise as many barriers as we can or we add as many extra little rules in there so that we don't go over the fence. Uh, who likes to play handball? Yeah, I like handball. Handball at school. Play handball. You go to schools, people play handball everywhere. You know, four squares, six squares, eight squares. You hit the ball. It's a very, very simple game, okay? You hit the ball, it's got to bounce on your side, bounce on the other side, then they hit it and it comes back. And if it doesn't do that, then you're out. Ah, no, 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 no. It sounds very simple, doesn't it? But it is far more complicated than that, all right? Uh, there's no bounds, there's interference. If it hits the wall where you can play on from this one, there's rolls. There's all I went to a school recently and they have handball courts and beside the handball court were the 20 rules of handball. <laughs> 20 rules of handball. Why? Because people get done. I didn't do that. That didn't roll. Oh, you interfered with me. Oh, you can't do Because we want to get there. We put up the fence, don't we? Let's put up one more little fence just there because I'm not going to break it. I'm going to add another little one here, another little one there. I haven't quite broken the rule yet. I'm going to go for another little one. That's what we do with rules, don't we? We either minimise it down to the smallest amount or we maximise as many barriers so we don't break it. Because we're on about the letter of the law, not the spirit, aren't we? Whereas Jesus comes in from verses 21 to 48 and he says, guys, no, 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 no. You've heard about the letter of the law, but I want to go deeper. It's the heart, God. It's the spirit of the law. It's what I want about. This is far more transforming than this. It's the heart. You go through and read them and I'll just uh, rattle them off for you and to show you what, just quickly how it works. So you see verse 21 26, if you've got your Bibles open, or go home and look at them, you'll notice that verses 21 to 26 is about murder. You shall not commit murder. One of the Ten Commandments, okay? So Jesus comes in and says, guys, you've heard it said, do not commit murder. He's not saying that's a good thing, but he says, it's deeper than that. 
It's about hatred. It's about saying raka to your, to, your, to your brother. It's about not asking for forgiveness. It's deeper, guys. It's deeper. It's not just about keeping the letter. It's not just that you don't go out and shoot somebody or kill somebody with your hands. It's about your heart. It's about your attitude. Don't hate your brother. Love them. It goes deeper. Then you go to the next one and you see verses 27 to 32. It says, do not commit adultery. That's very true. Don't commit adultery. It's not on. Uh, But Jesus goes deeper, doesn't he? He says it's about the lust of the heart. He says, even if you look at a girl down the street, she's got a short skirt and pretty nice at the front, don't go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do the minimised, don't we? Oh, but I'm just appreciating God's beauty. You know how creative beauty. Look at that. How good is God at creating that? But where does the brain go after that? He says it's more than that. It's lust, isn't it, guys? It's not just committing adultery. It's the heart. And then he goes to the next one. He goes, uh, someone told you that you could have divorce, but I'm telling you it's about faithfulness. It's not just about divorce. Back then, they worked out that if if your wife burnt the toast, that is enough to send them out of the house. Man, we would have sent our wives out years ago, wouldn't we, blokes, if that had been the case? Maybe. But what they were doing is they did, this, they did the barrier thing. Uh, you, yeah, don't divorce, yet. Yeah, don't do that. That's not a good thing to be doing. But, you know, but what about if they just did this wrong? What if they just did this wrong? He says, no, 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 because it's about faithfulness. You are not to divorce because you are not to have sexually inappropriate actions with anyone else other than the one that you have been devoted to, your wife. That is it, your husband. That is it. It's faithfulness. See how he goes deeper? It's faithfulness. Then verses 33 to 37, he says, don't break oaths. If you promise stuff, don't, don't, don't just promise stuff. Don't say that I'm, you know, I'm going to make a promise out here about something or other or oaths back then. In the name of God, I say such and such. No, 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 no. He says it's deeper than that. It's about honesty. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Deeper, guys. See how he's going deeper. Not this surface rules level, laws level. It's deeper. It's heart. It's attitude. It's character. That's how you interpret the Old Testament. Through Jesus. Fourth, verse 38 to 32. An eye for an eye. Uh, He says, no, no, no. You've heard that. But I'm telling you it's deeper than that. It's not about retribution. It's about forgiveness. What's that show on television? Uh, I haven't watched it for a while. And uh, she's all about just getting retribution the whole time. Vengeance. Revenge. No, 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 no. He says, no. Even if someone does something against you, you go through the look, but it's not about revenge or retribution. It's about forgiveness, guys. It's deeper. It's deeper. And then fifth, he says, in addition, he says, the command to love the neighbour as yourself, you've heard it said, and to hate others who hate you. And he says, no, you've got it wrong again, guys. Go deeper. You love all those around you. It doesn't matter whether you like them, you don't like them, whether they've done something good to you or bad to you, we are still to love them. Wow, would that change the world? Would that change the Middle East? Would that change just about every conflict you could possibly imagine if both sides did that? This is transforming stuff, isn't it, Jesus is saying? This is real stuff. This is relationship stuff. This is what it is to live here in this world. 
deeper, he says. Not the letter of the law, the spirit, the heart of it. That's how you understand it. Because you understand it through me. Because that's what I bring. I bring transformation to your heart. Because at the end, Jesus says a mind-blowing, extremely impossible thing. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Can't, can we? We cannot do that if we follow the letter of the law. If we think we can just do these things, I'm going, to, I'm going to be perfect, Jesus says you're gone. You've got to go deeper. You've got to go to the heart. And the heart is going back to the blessings, isn't it? To be pure in, pure in spirit. Um, what's the first? I've lost my train of thought. It says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Too much going through me. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. That's where it comes back to, isn't it? When we give our lives to Jesus, when we come to him, he steps into our lives and he transforms us and his righteousness becomes ours. His perfection becomes ours before God. That's the only way we can. And now, here and now, he transforms us and changes us and brings us so that we can live this out. Not perfectly but with him changing us and transforming us and taking us to the heart of the matter, not to the law. I saw this T-shirt. You need Jesus, bro. I'm just saying. But we do. That's what, this, what's what Jesus is saying. The whole list is coming to us and saying, you need me. I fulfil all the Old Testament's about. This is what it's about, the heart of the matter. Be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect. And you see anything? How? You need Jesus. You need me. That's what he's saying. You need to come to him. We need Jesus. We cannot do this without him. Four points, I think, will help you understand the Old Testament so you don't have to rip it out, so you don't have to apply it in a way that I think is going to be harmful to you. Four things. Firstly, and you should ask this question of every bit of the Bible when you read it, what does it teach you about the character of God? Who God is? doesn't matter where you open up the Bible, that is the first question you want to ask. What does that teach us about him? Second question you want to ask is, this is particularly, you can go this either way, New Testament or Old Testament, so it goes in the same direction, but particularly the Old Testament. How does this passage point forward to Jesus? How does this take me to him? How does this lead me to him? I've been reading Exodus lately, uh, working through that, we're going to be doing that next term, doing the Ten Commandments and then all the laws, and throughout of it is this continual refrain that God says that they will be my people and I will be their God. That's what he's after. That's what he wants, the people who are his, a holy people. How can that be? They failed dismally. We'll fail dismally too, unless we come to Jesus. He's the only one that will enable us to do that. How does it lead us to him? How does Jesus' life, death, resurrection reach back 
and fulfil or interpret and get to the heart of the passage? How does Jesus' life, death and resurrection go back in, fulfil whatever may be the philosophy, the law, whatever's there, fulfil it, interpret it or get us to the heart of the passage? What is underneath in one sense? What is deeper there for you? And then say, how does it now apply to me and the world? Can I encourage you with those four things? When you go to the Old Testament, don't rip it out, don't stop reading it. Read it, look at it, get into it. Uh, But have those in your mind. What does this teach us about God's character? Uh, How does this point us to Jesus? How does Jesus feel it? Come back into it, interpret it, understand it, get to the heart of it. And then how does it apply to me or you? Whatever way you go with it, when you get to the end of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is calling for radical obedience, isn't he? It's a heart transformation that goes deep to change of character, to live for him, to live like him. Radical obedience works out in radical living for Jesus. I was listening the other day to a guy called Francis Chan and uh, at the end of his talk he was saying that uh, sometimes he thinks that we've actually domesticated Jesus too much. We've made him too nice and fluffy on the side. Whereas we need to be getting more to the depth of who Jesus is and what he asks and what he wants for you and I in our lives. He says sometimes he remembers he used to play the game and we've played the game, haven't we? Simon says, Simon says, put your hands on your head and you did it. Simon says, and you do it. Whereas I think what we've done sometimes is we've said, well, Jesus says, and we memorise it. How would that be? You know, you tell your child, look, you're... I want you to go to your bedroom now and sit in there and think about what you've just done. Well, they go away for a little bit and then they come back and they say, hey, Dad, I've memorised it. What you told me to do was go to my bedroom, sit down and think about what you've just done. Hasn't changed anything, has it? Well, maybe she'll come out and they'll say, oh, well, actually, I've not only memorised it, but I can tell you what it's like in Greek. Let me parse it for you. Or maybe, Dad, could I bring over a whole group of people and we'll sit down and we'll discuss that, what you've just told me to do, and we'll come up with what we think you're telling us to do. Think about it. Memorising, understanding the Greek, studying it are all good things. But they are absolutely a complete waste of time if we don't do it. Complete waste of time. That's what Matthew 5 is saying to us, guys. Jesus speaks powerfully to those that are listening. He speaks powerfully to you and I today. This is about radical living, which is radical obedience, which is heart transformation that I can bring. And if you do that, then you're going to be amazing lights into this community for me. Let's pray that we can do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, that you, you gave, uh, it's, it's phenomenal. There's so much in it. So challenging, Lord. So confronting. But yet, Lord, so attractive. 
Man, Lord, if we could live those blessings, if we could live understanding the heart and the spirit of the law and, and living out the way that you desire us, Lord. It's such an attractive life. And Lord, we can't do it without you. We need you, Lord. We pray, Father, that by your spirit you will do a mighty work on the inside. That you'll change us to be people who just don't hear what you say, don't just memorise what you say, Lord, don't just study what you say, but do what you say, Lord. With you, Lord, with your spirit within us, then we're going to be able to do that together. Help us, Lord. Help us to be the lights of a city on the hill shine brightly for you so people throughout the world, throughout our community bring praise and glory to you pray this in Jesus name